I, I, over the years, as I'm here, I want to, I want to share with you my testimony uh, in, in bits and pieces, you know, instead of it just being this one long thing. Uh, I, I do want to share and understand I'm not, I'm not this distant figure. I, I, I had um, breakfast with, with a couple yesterday, and, and one of them was like um, really nervous. And it's like, it's really funny, like, why are you nervous? And, and he, literally, he literally told me, he was like, because you're like a celebrity. And I'm like, yo, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life because that is not me at all. So I really do want to share with you. Um, again, we have a small church and it's great, but there's, there's no distance. I, I pray and I hope there's no distance between us. And I think what I, what I really want to share with you is even my walk with the Lord, walk with Christ, has been a very tumultuous one, has been a very rocky one, a very stormy one at times. And I think it started when I was a kid. And I went to um, a public school for elementary school, and then my parents put me in a private Christian school for middle school and half of high school. Um, and and what, what ended up happening is in, in this Christian this Christian schooling, you have chapel. You have a time where you go and you hear a speaker like preach or, or, or talk or give a testimony. And I think this was a very formative time for me because I was a Christian. I accepted Christ when I was a little child, um, when I was about five years old. But it was in these messages that these people would come and they would share their testimonies or they'd share about the Word of God and it would make me feel so bad. And let me tell you, like, it, basically we would have these assemblies, these chapels, and these guys would come and, and they would tell us, they would be like, you know, I was addicted to drugs, I was addicted to alcohol, you know, I would party all the time, and I, I was just a bad person. You know, I was a part of a gang or I was a, a, a doing all these bad things, but then I met Jesus. And then my life just turned 180 degrees around, and now I'm a new creation. I'm a new person, and I'm, I'm doing so good. Now, I, they, would, they would say, now I'm a pastor of this church, and now I'm able to, to go and preach the good news of Jesus because I was once lost, and now I'm found. And, and you know, that's where, as, as kids, we all listen to that, and we're like, oh, okay, so that's what it means to be Christian. Is that you go from being the sinner to all of a sudden this righteous person. So it, it kind of made me feel guilty. It made me feel really bad because I was like, I'm not that great of a person and I've been a Christian for a long time. So again, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Again, I, I became a Christ follower when I was five years old. And so, you know, when I was four years old, I wasn't out in the club partying. You know, I wasn't this baby that was drinking and, and, and doing drugs. I, you know, I was a, probably a good four-year-old. And then I, I, I became a Christian when I was five years old. And I was probably about the same in terms of my goodness as a six-year-old. It wasn't like this amazing 180-degree turn giving my life to Jesus. And so hearing these guys talk, I would feel so guilty. And, 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 the, and the bad part was is that there's this guy in the Bible, and his name is Paul. And, and this guy, Paul, his testimony is very similar. Not in the sense that he did drugs or anything. If anything, he was a really good religious guy. And this good religious guy was, was, was killing Christians. And he was doing something that was really bad. And then he had this encounter with Jesus. And then the moment he had this encounter with Jesus, his life turned 180 degrees. Because once he was killing the Christians, and then he met Jesus, and then he just turned his life upside down and became a Christ follower. And I remember it was even understanding Paul... I would, I would read Paul, and even as an adult, I would read Paul, and I'd read his words, and I'd be like, dude, this guy is just mad holy. He is just, he's just good. He's perfect. Like, he is the closest thing to Jesus in, in human form. And, and I remember even a lot of, like, as you read the epistles, as you read Paul's letter to the churches, you feel the sense, like, man, Paul's got everything together. 
And again, I love Paul. He's, he's an amazing, amazing apostle. He's, he, he did so much for the early church. But even for myself, when I read the words of Paul, there is that part of me where I'm like, yo, I can't even get to that level because I'm still messed up even now. And so the words of Paul, they speak to me, but there's, a, there's even a moment where I'm like, Paul, we got to slow that down because I got I to gotta digest this. I got to digest what you're talking about. There's another guy in the Bible who really I'm beginning to relate to and relate with on a much deeper level. Again, I, I know Paul's not perfect. I, I, I don't even mean to say Paul is perfect, but there's just very little, um, there's very little talk about the sin in Paul's life. There's just very little. I mean, again, this is kind of why a lot of, a lot of times you hear about Paul in the church. You don't hear about the bad stuff that Paul did before his conversion. I mean, after his conversion. Like, you only hear about the bad stuff Paul did before he came to know Jesus, about the Christians he killed and all that stuff. But after Paul became a Christian, it seems like Paul is this sparkling, clean, really good person. And I'm sure he was, but again, that seemed not even me. Like, even, even for myself, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but when you look at my life, I'm not this sparkly, clean guy, and I don't even want to portray that. But there is this other guy who we see a lot of stuff, and his name is Peter, and he was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the guys that followed Jesus around throughout his earthly ministry, and, and, and today I want to continue our series on the Gospel of John in, in looking at a few passages that talk about Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And I pray and I hope that as we go through um, these various passages, and, and you can just follow, follow with me. Um, I, I would encourage you to turn there with me, but uh, John chapter 13, it's on the screen behind me. But John chapter 13, there is this famous moment. There's this famous story that happens. And today, you know, hold, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to read a lot of the Bible. Uh, we're going to read a lot of, of different passages. Uh, but I want you to just follow along with me. So if you have your Bibles, open up to to John chapter 13, starting from verse 36. If you don't, just look on the screen behind, or if not, just listen to the word of God. Simon Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus is talking about the cross. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you, lay your, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So this passage is one that I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to, to, oh man, it's, it's like convicting for me, and I'm trying just to like work it out even in my own life. Um, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be given unto the authorities um, and, and, and be put under trial and be crucified. And Jesus, because he's God, he knows this is going to happen. It's not like it was a surprise. It's not like when Judas comes and says, you know, like we're here to arrest you, that, that Jesus is like, oh my goodness, like what are you talking about? No, Jesus was preparing because he knew what was going to unfold. And he was, it was telling, he was telling his disciples, he was saying to his disciples, I'm going to go away for a little while, but I'm going to come back. And I'm, I need to go away for a little while because I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save the world of sin, and only through me can we find eternal life. And so as his disciples are starting to hear Jesus talk less cryptically and in parables and more in this just straightforward language, like, 
y'all, I'm going to die. Like, y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed and murdered. So, so hold on with me and, and, and know that I'm, it's okay because I will be raised again in three days. He's talking to his disciples to this level of clarity that he hasn't before. And so Peter goes to Jesus and, and he explains to Jesus, he's like, what do you mean I can't go where you're going? And this isn't like Peter was confused about what Jesus was saying. He knew that Jesus was being led to death. And that's why he says, I will lay down my life for you. That's why Peter is saying, I will go wherever you go, even to the point of death. Man, it's this passion that I I resonate with Peter. (laughs) It's this passion that when you are in love with someone, when you care about someone, you're just like, hey, I'm there with you. Like, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it is. Like, and, and again, I, I kind of pride myself with loyalty, for loyalty. And so it's like if one of my friends was like, yo, things are going down. We got we, we to gotta do some stuff that, that isn't necessarily that, much, that, that legal. Like, it's like, all right, you know, you're my, you're my bud, so I'll do it with you. Like, let, let's go. Like, it, it, it's this idea that because you care about them, that you're going to go and be loyal to them to the very end. And that's what Peter is kind of doing. He has this feeling like, Jesus we're brothers. Like, you're my savior. I've been following you these past three years. If you're telling me that you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. Man, that's passion. And I think as, as believers, and many times in the church even, it's that kind of passion that we are like, oh, we want that passion. Like, don't you want that passion? That, that when you look at Jesus, you're like, Jesus, I will go with you to the ends of the earth and I will die with you. And then Jesus says something to Peter that is incredibly sobering. Jesus looks at Peter and is like, so you're going to follow me to death, yeah? You're going to follow me to the cross. You're going to follow me and lay down your life. I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. In John chapter 18, it's our next passage. John chapter 18, just a few pages over. It says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus, has, had, Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, because it was early in the morning, torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. We skip over that a lot, but that's such an awesome um, image that a lot of times we don't don't recognize. Um, They're asking, like, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, knowing that they're coming to arrest him, he just stands there and says, I am he. This idea of I am goes back to even Exodus when, when God is talking to Moses and Moses is introduced to God as being the I am. That when Jesus says these words, these soldiers and this group of men that are coming to arrest Jesus literally fall down to the ground. Again, we, we skip over that a lot, but I just find that so incredible. Verse 7 says, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go, his disciples. This was to fulfill the word he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We'll stop there. So Peter, being this super passionate guy, being this guy that's like, Jesus, I will follow you even to death. I will follow you. And Jesus is like, I already know what you're going to do, and you're going to deny me. You're not, you're not going to do what you say you're going to do. You're going to deny me. Peter is probably feeling this guilt because Jesus is like, you're going to deny me. He's probably thinking it's in every ounce of his body. No, Jesus, there's no way I'm going to deny you. I, I know you're the Lord. I know you're the Savior. So when Judas and his band of soldiers and the Pharisees and all these people are coming to arrest Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is, is, has already told his disciples that this was going to happen. He had already told his disciples the, 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 the timeline and, and every detail that's going to happen. So his disciples really should know, this is what my, my Lord, my Savior has already said that he's going to experience and going to endure. The Word of God has already shown us this was going to happen. But no, Peter said, not on my watch. Yes, Jesus may have said that he's going to die. And yes, Jesus may have said that he's going to be betrayed. Yes, Jesus may have said all these things that are coming to fruition, but not on my watch. And Peter draws a sword out, and he cuts off with one of the servant's ears. I think in the church, there's a desire there's a desire for aggression when it comes to sharing our faith. There's a desire for aggression when we defend our faith. There's a desire for aggression when we even say that we stand on Christian values. And I've heard this time and time again, especially in light of our country and the way even the term evangelical is being used, the way the world views evangelicals is very much like Peter in this story. It, it, it's fascinating to me. What, what ends up happening is, is that they think, we think we're doing the right thing in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you dare not touch my Savior. You dare not touch him. You lay a finger on him, and I'm going to bust my sword out, and I'm going to cut your ear off. And we think, and we think to ourselves, oh, good job, Peter. Good job. When they came, when they came to arrest Jesus, you were there. Good job. You were there to defend Jesus, and man, they're going to remember your faith because you cut off that servant's ear. You showed them. You showed them what it means to really stand on the values of Christ. But no. Jesus did not stand for Peter to be violent, for Peter to be aggressive, for Peter to be hateful, for Peter to be angry. Jesus was willingly going to the cross for these sinners, for their salvation. So that the world could see that Christians are a little bit different. That, that Christ, that God is a little bit different than what we thought he would be. That the Jews thought Jesus was going to come. The Messiah was going to come with a sword in his hand and was going to chop down all the Romans. Was going to chop down all of the authorities and that he would rule and reign on the throne forever and ever. They got a part of it right. Jesus did come to rule forever and ever, but he did not come with the sword 
but he came as a lamb. He came as a sacrificial lamb, not to slaughter, but to be slaughtered for us. And Peter was learning this. Peter was, un- was, was beginning to go through the stages of understanding that to be a Christ follower is not to draw your sword, but to trust in the word that Jesus had told you. Let's continue. In chapter 18, a few verses down from that situation, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Let's go to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and at once a rooster crowed. So immediately following the arrest of Jesus, and as Jesus being beaten and bruised and being put under trial before the Pharisees, it's it's still early in the morning, it's still cold, and they're gathering by this, this fire. Again, I'm sure Peter is just kind of looking into the fire, looking into this this charcoal fire and, and kind of contemplating all that he's witnessing, that his Lord the man that he's called Savior, the man that was able to to walk on water, the guy that was able to raise someone from the dead, the man that was able to feed thousands and thousands of people, the man that by his word people would be healed, this man that was able to preach and teach the word of God in such a way that was so convicting, this man that was able to make the lame walk, the blind see, that this man that he's been following these past years, was now being imprisoned and being put under trial. I can imagine Peter looking into this fire and the seed of doubt begins to form inside of him. Maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Maybe those healings that he did, maybe it was just magic. Maybe him walking on water was just an illusion. Maybe him feeding those 5,000. Maybe, you know, maybe people just brought food and, and that's how they ate that day. And so as, as different people and three different people go to Peter and say, hey, weren't you one of the disciples following this guy on trial? And Peter does something. He does something that I'm, I'm very keen of and I, I, or at least I, I understand. And it's a denial saying, no, 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 that's not me. No, no, you have me mistaken. I would never follow someone like that. How could I follow someone that powerless, that incapable of saving himself? How could I believe in someone like this? How could I believe that this man who is being imprisoned and being beaten and bruised is the savior of the world? Come on, that's laughable. 
And the reason why I say that this even, even convicts me is because I think this happens to me when I encounter the real world, the, the outside world, the non-Christian world. When I talk to people and I try my best to keep myself as distant from Jesus as possible because I'm afraid of their understanding and comprehension and their biases of who Jesus is. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I experience this all the time when I talk with people that I know do not like Christianity, that don't like the church, that don't like Jesus, that I do my very best to make sure that I don't impose on them, that I don't even let them think that, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian and let alone a pastor. I don't want them to think and equate me with that kind of faith. So Peter, as he's warming himself by this fire, denies the Christ three times. And the rooster crows. And the rooster crowing is important because it's at that moment that Peter realizes his sin. And so what ends up happening, and it's a big spoiler alert, Jesus dies. He's raised from the grave. So, you know, sorry. Don't, don't mean to spoil it, but it's, it's happened 2,000 years ago, so you had some time to learn about that. Um, but really, as Jesus was, was raised from the tomb, you have a group of women who go to the empty tomb and they realize it's empty and they call Simon. They call me Simon Peter, Peter. And they, they call him and he goes to the temple and he realizes that his, his Lord is raised from the dead. And so again, it's this affirmation for Peter that Jesus wasn't lying, that Jesus, every word that Jesus said was true, that even his death and his burial and his resurrection was all predicted beforehand by Jesus himself. And so him seeing the risen Lord was, was this affirmation that he wasn't crazy but there's something that we still have to deal with with Peter is that even though he sees the resurrected Lord even though he sees Jesus and he's able to to witness the new resurrected body of Christ there's a story I want us to go into and I believe it's John chapter 20 21 verse 15 so starting from verse 15 it says when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, this is the resurrected Christ. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples uh, a few times after, after he was risen from the grave. And, he, and he's talking in this intimate setting with, with Simon Peter. With Peter. And he's talking to Peter. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is a, a conversation between Peter and Jesus that I think we have to understand about what it means to be a Christ follower. What it means to love Jesus. 
And it's something that I'm processing. I'm still learning. Jesus asked Peter directly, do you love me? And every time, Peter is like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And it's funny, when you read this um, out of context, and you read this out, I've even heard sermons, read, like, read this out of context, not talking to the resurrected Christ, but they seem, it seems like this is before Jesus died. This is after Jesus died. This is after the denial of, of Peter. I, I've, heard, I've heard it be like, even, even it be preached, like, man, why is Jesus being so repetitive? Like, he, obviously Peter has been a disciple, so obviously, obviously Peter loves Jesus. And so why is Jesus even questioning Peter's love? The reason why Jesus asked Peter three times is because Peter denied Jesus three times. And I, and, and I truly believe and I understand that because Peter understood that his denial of Christ was three times, that Jesus making it a point to ask him three times was not for Jesus' sake, but it was for the sake of Peter to be healed by Jesus. See, church, this is what I mean to say. It's okay for you to deny Christ. It's okay for you to reject Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. For you to not always be the best Christian. It's okay for you to mess up. It's okay for you to make mistakes. But my question is this. At a later time when Jesus comes and he asks you, do you love me? No matter how many times you've denied him in the past, what's your answer today? No matter how much you felt far and distant from God, what's your answer today? And based on that, there is a command. And this command, Jesus explains, is to tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Watch over my children. Watch over my followers and help them to grow in faith as well. But what I want you to see in the life of Peter is that Peter was not the strong man of faith. He was very weak in his faith. He was so weak in his faith that he turned to aggression and then he turned to denial to cope with the fact that Jesus wasn't the kind of God that he wanted. That Peter wanted the Jesus that would, that would be victorious over the Romans. That Peter wanted a Jesus that would be able to, to come down from the cross in all his glory and make fools of everyone there. That Peter had to learn that it wasn't about his will, but it was about the will of Jesus. And so his denial was not put against him. His rejection was not counted as a failure. His sin was a stepping stool for growth. I want to free you today. You know, we've come into counter, in, in encounter with so much sin. And let me tell you, when you come into, in, in, when you encounter sin, it is not enjoyable. It is shameful. It is something you grieve. It is something that you hate from the bottom of your heart because sin is just not how things are supposed to be. And many times as believers, as a community of Christians, we try to insulate and we try to protect our church from sin and we try to make it so that we are very aggressive and we cut off the ear of people that are doing the wrong thing. Oh, man. That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't this policeman. 
He's not judge, jury, and executioner that's looking out to kill and destroy. He's looking to forgive and to redeem. And so you see, the church is beautiful because it's a place that we welcome in sinners that recognize their sin. And they repent. And when Jesus asked those people, do you love me? That it's yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. I, 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 it's not in the text, but I would love to think that Jesus asks this question of do you love me for every sin that you have? For every sin that you've done that Jesus is asking you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I hope and I pray that every time God asks us this question of if we love him, that our response would be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And as we say, yes, Lord, to his love, that he would begin to heal us of our sin. But let this be a caution to you as well. There was another disciple. There was another disciple that did not confess his sin, that did not have a contrite spirit, one to go back to Jesus and ask for his acceptance again, and his name was Judas. And Judas' story was ended in a far grim, far more grim manner because he hung himself in a field. See, if you're dealing with sin, if you're dealing even with this rejection of God altogether, I am saying it's okay for you to do so. God already knows you reject him. He already knew Peter was going to reject him. He already knew Judas was going to reject him. He knew the rejection was inevitable. But the difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter came and he repented and he confessed and he came before Jesus and he, and he began to, to have this heart that would turn around from his wicked ways of denying the Christ, whereas Judas did not do such. And so his life ended in death and destruction and despair. Church, Jesus wants you to be saved. He wants you to be free of all your guilt and all your shame. Peter had a lot of guilt and shame, I guarantee you. As he heard that rooster crow and as he recognized, oh my goodness, I did what my Lord said I would do. I denied him three times. There is that level of guilt and shame. And let me tell you, Judas had the same moment of conviction. I don't know if you knew this. But Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And, and what he did with that 30 pieces of silver, he wanted to return it back to the, the Pharisees. So he threw these 30 pieces of silver in, into the temple. And, and the Pharisees used that gold, I mean that silver, to buy the plot of land where he was hung, where he hung himself. There's a difference. Peter and Judas both felt, felt the conviction of sin. But Peter was redeemed by a savior. Judas was not. When I look at the story of, of, of Peter, the call is what I'm aiming to do. It's to tend to the sheep, to feed the sheep, to care for the sheep. This is not... This is not just a call for pastors. This is a call for all those that believe and love Jesus. 
This is not something that you can just look at someone who's on the mission field or someone who's in clergy or someone who's, who is doing nonprofit work. This is a call to all those who have experienced the love and forgiveness and the reconciliation, the healing of Christ. That Jesus looks at us and he asks us, do you love me? And as we say, yes, I love you, all of our sins, all of our hurts, all of our brokenness, they, be, they begin to be healed and reconciled. And what once was brokenness now is strength. But in that strength of being forgiven, we're now able to be the shepherds. To be the one to help the others who are broken and lost and lead them to a savior who will forgive and love them no matter what. If you're sitting here today and you have your doubts, you have your denials, you have your sins, you have all, all of that going on, and I, I, I'm not the one that's able to convict you of those sins, but what I'm saying is that you have a Savior who is willing to love you, to die for you, to raise you up, and to give you a new life. See, my testimony is not based on how bad I was. My testimony is based on how good God is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that we can have a service where we worship with our children, worship with our students, and worship with our friends and family. Father, I pray, Lord, that if we have our denials and our doubts, if we have our sins, that we would be more like Peter and less like Judas, that we would be more willing to go before you and be forgiven by you. And God, that as you ask us, if we love you, that we would say, yes, yes, yes. And that we would fulfill the call that you have, and that we would tend to the sheep, that we would feed your sheep. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that as we move forward in your will, let it be by your will and not ours. Let us not try to be aggressive for being aggressive's sake. Let us be truly in submission under your will and authority. And so, Father, whatever happens, we follow you. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.